Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about whole school wellbeing. My guest today is Sonia Paps, head of the British Secondary and High School section at the Taipei European School. This school offers British, German and French curricula and the International Baccalaureate Diploma to students from over 50 nationalities. The Taipei European School embarked on a whole school wellbeing journey over three years ago that is still going strong. Kia ora, Sonia. We're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. It's great to be with you, Denise. Um, Sonia and I are actually recording this interview at the World Congress of Positive Psychology in Melbourne, Australia, where we've both managed to sit down <laughs> face to face. That's great. Um, Sonia, we know that you and your school in Taipei have worked on well-being for several years now. Um, can you tell us a bit about, first of all, how you came to do that and what you've been doing? Well, we fell into it by accident, really. In 2014, I attended a workshop at a HEADS conference um, led by Clive Leach, the executive coach. And um, what he had to say was just the right thing at the right time. So what were the main things that were driving you to get involved in the wellbeing journey? Well, at that time, we had a number of student well-being challenges that were surfacing, and we felt it intuitively, although we weren't able to support it empirically, that we had more students that were struggling with the stressors of school and with home life. Um, We were seeing more students uh, needing clinical support for mental health issues, um, and just what seemed like um, a more anxious tone around our student body. And with our teachers, we knew that we had some well-being challenges in pockets of the school um, and we also knew that in order for our students to to experience flourishing which ultimately is the goal of of every school out there our teachers needed to be flourishing individuals as well and we weren't we knew we weren't there and so we made further contact with Clive and he came on as a partner with us and um, the rest is history really we We're an international school situated in Taipei. Our students tend to be uh, very aspirational, academically able. Most of them tend to come from privileged backgrounds, and with that comes high expectations for their own success in life. And we we didn't... um, know it empirically but we knew it intuitively from our day-to-day work that we were seeing more cases of students with mental health concerns more cases of students who were struggling um, to meet the expectations whether that be of their teachers or their their parents or in most cases themselves Um, and we we just had real concerns about student well-being particularly in the high school and so how did you start well we started with um, putting together a three-year plan for implementing a positive education program. Um, It's been called various things over the years. Uh, Initially, we called it our well-being agenda. And we decided that year one was going to be all about learning and research and educating our staff and teachers in how to care for themselves um, and their families, uh, trying to just share the, the science of positive psychology with our staff, bringing in experts like Clive into the school. Um, we trained a core group of staff um, on 
the basics of coaching. And really that year was just about learning and it, it will forever be one of my favorite years um, in terms of my professional history because it, it was revelationary. We did a lot of reading. We had fantastic debates and discussion. And it was a really exciting time where we were plotting out what we'd do over the next two years. We've now finished the third year okay. of that three-year plan. So year one was teachers. Year two was bringing uh, positive education to our students. Year three was about embedding and educating our community, that being parents mostly. Okay. Um, and so now we're just reflecting on the previous three years and plotting out what we're going to do over the next Oh, fantastic. So can I pull you back to that first year and ask you about what was the response of staff when you brought that research in and engaged in those debates? Mixed. Mixed. We had our early adopters who were instantly um, keen to, to champion our well-being agenda, who um, just soaked up the research and um, who began to practice um, you, you know the, the practices that we were bringing yeah. to school, which included mindfulness, gratitude practice, savoring, yeah. all those all those things that that um, we're still developing. We did have a core group who I won't say were negative, but they were naturally skeptical, and I think that was really healthy and continues to be healthy for us um, because they they check us and make us yeah. check ourselves to ensure that when we see when we say that we're bringing in research-based practice into the school that that's actually what's mm. happening oh and I think love your skeptics and hold them close yes yeah yes yeah. they're frustrating but they're absolutely necessary and I think a good healthy culture of learning requires that conversation yeah. um, but we were lucky in that, and I, I do think it wasn't just luck, it was partly the strategy that we took in that first year in terms of making it all about learning rather yeah. than about preaching to. So yeah. we, were, we were going on a learning journey together. Um, and um, I do think through that, it wasn't very long before we had that critical mass of teachers who agreed that we needed to address well-being concerns yeah. in the school. As you went through that first year, what kind of things really helped build teacher buy-in? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, a number of things. I think our approach, our inquiry approach, mm -hmm. um, we resisted using that word initiative, and we were very honest in speaking to the staff about how we were looking at bringing about significant culture change for the long term. So positive psychology or positive education or talking about well-being was not just something we were doing for that year. It wasn't something that we were just going to do for the three years. It was something that we're looking to embed as part of our school identity moving forward. Um, and I think that was really important. Um, I think the other thing was um, we brought it to professional learning communities. So teachers in small groups were dissecting the research together. Um, we established a uh, PERMA Champions group of teachers, so they were volunteer teachers, I shouldn't speak about them in the past tense because they still exist, but a group of teachers who meet um, over a lunch every two weeks and their agenda is purely teacher well-being in the school and they generate ideas, they generate enthusiasm, they also bring the science of well-being to the staff, they present in meetings um, and so I think what really got the teacher buy-in was a trust in our commitment to making positive change in the school and trust in our commitment to improving teacher well-being. 
some of the things we did was we have um, created space in the school day so teachers have 80 minutes a week um, at their disposal to use towards their own well-being so that might be taking a walk out Hang in nature. Say that again, 80 minutes? 80 minutes a week. To um, focus on their own well-being. Within their schedule they choose when they want to take it but it's time that they don't need to account for so there's no expectation that they're sitting in the staff room planning or that you know they're, they're in a meeting. They just need to let somebody know that they're off to do their well-being time and that might include um, using the Headspace app that we've bought for everyone um, and just taking some time out to do some mindfulness. It might be using the staff gym. It might be going out for a nature walk. Our school is situated right outside a national park so um, some of our teachers use that opportunity to just get mm -hmm. out in nature for 80 minutes before going back to their work day. And Wednesdays, um, we, the senior leadership team, uh, have taken all the after-school supervision duties and co-curricular activities. And on a Wednesday, um, immediately after school, teachers have protected professional reflection time. And each week, we send out um, a, a prompt. Or it might be an article. It might be something from the news. Um, it might be a study related to, to positive psychology. Um, not everything is PERMA or POSED related, yeah. uh, but we try at least every three weeks to have something that is. And um, teachers use their own methods for recording the reflections. Some people do vlogs, some people write a journal, some people um, you know, will keep a Google document or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But it's time and space for them to think about the, their professional lives, their professional practice, and the change that they're impacting on their students. And what kind of feedback have you had from staff about it? Well, the skeptics, some of them are still skeptics. Yeah. Um, most of them have accepted that positive education is something that's great for the students and they have buy-in when it comes to the students. They're a little bit less receptive when it comes to themselves. But if you walk around our school and talk to our staff about teacher well-being or well-being strategies and practices that we've brought in the school, by far, most of them will be very positive about it. And mm -hmm. I have had people in my office, um, I'm thinking of one colleague in particular, who is in tears in my office in gratitude, saying, you don't realize how this has changed my life. It's changed my marriage, it's changed my relationship with my kids, and of course, it's changed my work life as well. So, Sonia, it sounds like it, this has really made a big impact for staff. And I'm also just curious, have you been using a particular wellbeing model with staff? Seligman's PERMA is the what, the five ways to well-being is the how, mm -hmm. and everything's underpinned by a coaching model. Let's uh, talk about the coaching because it's been it's been mirrored. So so Clive Leach has um, been our man when it comes to um, help supporting our coaching development in the school. We have a few coaching champions on staff, and they've had additional training, and they do additional readings, mm -hmm. and um, they meet, and um, they provide peer coaching for members of staff. So if anybody's feeling that they would like a com coaching conversation, either about something that's related to their professional life or beyond, um, these are members of staff that, that they can go to. We're just now working out some sort of a supervision arrangement to support those coaches because they're um, very popular. All right, so to, ma to make sure they don't get um, Overused, drained, overused, and, drained, and how yeah. to be protected and looked after in terms of exactly. boundaries and yeah, all of those things, all of those things, because they're not professional <coughs> coaches, um, and so we need to make sure that we're supporting them as well as we can. So that's the next step in that in that stage, um, and we use the grow model with our students because it's easy. 
For our listeners, the GROW coaching model is based on the acronym G-R-O-W. That stands for Goal, Current Reality, Options or Obstacles, and Way Forward or Will. So we use the GROW model because it's easy. We're able to print it. We have it visible around the school. Um, We tend to focus on um, coaching conversations in our core time. So once a week, our students have 80 minutes of core. And that's um, the lessons through which we devote deliver our positive education program. It's also where our school counselors have a chance to talk to students say about mental health. Mm-hmm. It's where we do all the bits and pieces that don't fall into um, the subject areas that mm-hmm. form the curriculum, but all, the all-important social and emotional learning that students so need. Can I ask, so when they're in, um, just so I can understand how it'll be, um, when they're in core time, are they in their class groups or? The whole cohorts have core at the same time. So all of year nine, for example, Example, we'll have core at the same time each week. Some weeks they might be together as a whole group with the whole core team teaching them en masse. Um, at other times they might be split into smaller groups. Sometimes um, we might divide them um, unbeknownst to them by, you know, some criteria um, so that we can work with individual groups of students um, on targeted interventions or things like that. So um, any number of ways. So presumably that also means if the whole cohort's together and I'm a teacher, I can get to watch other teachers who are maybe a bit more expert in an area teaching yes. them. Yeah. So there's learning for, and support for teachers. And we've really focused on training our deans in positive education and the each year dean um, takes the lead on the core program for their cohort. So the teachers are there to support the dean, and the dean supports all the planning and preparation that goes into those lessons. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're absolutely right. That team approach makes the, the material uh, more accessible to a larger group of teachers. So tell us, how did you? What, what what was the? How did it unfold in terms of bringing this work to the students? How was it introduced to them? Um, so, like I said, for year one. Uh, our, our focus really was on educating staff. By term three, which is the final term of our school year, we started to introduce ideas like gratitude um, to our students and the, the concept of character strengths. And then the September of the following year, um, we had Clive Leach uh, visit. We celebrated World Character Day. Um, so we crashed the timetable for a day and students went on rotation to different sessions. One of them was a keynote with Clive where he introduced the PERMA model. Um, and then they went did a series of workshops throughout the day. We created a different program. I just, can I just say I love that expression, <laughs> we crashed the timetable. Yeah. We call them crash days. Um, and so we crashed the timetable a few times a year for different purposes. Um, and character day is brilliant, so that's on our annual calendar now. And um, we, we run a program for our middle school students and then a separate one for our high school students. Um, and so that was really the day. And it was really efficient because in one day they were able to have um, they were introduced to PERMA, they were introduced to the five ways to well-being, they were introduced to the character strengths, and that just gave us a foundation to then go and develop those areas through our core program. We try to be as responsive to what we believe the needs of the students are um, in our care at that time as we can be. So we do the awe assessment twice a year, the assessing well-being and education. And education. Yeah. So we use that as a measurement, um, and we assess the students in September and then again in April. Um, and we also use the MTQ48, uh, the mental toughness um, 
assessment tool for our high school students. Okay. Um, and then following that initial testing, each student has an interview with a member of the pastoral team or a member of the senior leadership team just to dig into you know, their assessment a little bit more. And from there, um, we might devise an individual um, intervention plan if, if you know there's oh, concerns wow. there That's, for a student. Yeah. Um, we might bring parents in if the concerns are significant um, or we might um, just proceed with the whole cohort well-being interventions. So for example we noticed that our year 10s the, under, the other year had particularly low mental toughness scores so we tweaked our core program to focus on mental toughness. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So you mentioned there you know this that there's ongoing change and development and that it's messy. And we often refer to this in our work as the sandpit phase, where mm. you've got to, you know, it's got to be out of the book and into the real world. We're still in the sandpit phase, and I'm not sure that we'll ever get past that, because something that we believe in is that we want to be responsive to the student needs at the time. And those change, cohorts are different, mm. students are different, um, things happen in schools, and, and so, I, I would never want to see us have a set program that students just work their way through year on year, but we also, do, you know, in addition to that, we also do need a strategy and we need to make sure that um, by the time the students finish with us that, that they've had exposure to a wide range of mm -hmm. learning mm -hmm. under that well-being umbrella too. So we can't just go into it blindly and make it up lesson by lesson, but, um, but I'm not sure we'll ever be out of the sandpit. And so in the sandpit, what kind of things are, so that it's not totally hit and miss, what are the things that you think are, are guiding you in the sandpit phase and helping you to make the decisions and feel like that you are on the right track and knowing when to change? How's that working? Conversation. Uh-huh. Lots of conversation with those leading the learning, with those doing the learning, um, with staff. Um, having regular checkpoints, the awe has been particularly useful for us. Mm -hmm. right? It hasn't, sadly, shown that we're adding a huge amount of value just yet, but I think... <laughs> It's still early days there, but every time we do the awe, because we do it with teachers and with students, um, there's a reflection that follows. So that might be an individual interview, mostly in the case of students. It might be a staff meeting where we get into small clusters and talk about what the results are showing about our overall school well-being, um, giving coaching opportunities to teachers to talk through their well-being report. And so I think what's guiding us is being open to discussion and conversation and being open to changing course and not being committed to a set program. In your third year, you were engaging more with the parent community mm. and taking it to families. How did that look? Well, we'd have, we had a few information sessions. Um, we have what we call round table evenings. So those are evenings where parents are invited and we usually have a strong contingent of maybe 20 to 30 and it's always the same parents which is which is one of the challenges that we yeah. are thinking about how we're going to overcome in the future because we um, tend to preach to the converted and so th the parents will come to a round table session and there will be you know a, a particular theme often the theme is well-being related because our focus was of course taking this out to parents um, and doing a series of activities as you would with a class 
all right, and creating a discussion circle with parents. So it's not about a presentation. It's about having a stimuli, doing something, doing something. Yeah. Doing something. Um, so, you know, taking them through a gratitude exercise or, you know, talking about the importance of meaning, you know, that sense of yeah. meaning and purpose and having an open discussion. And when we first started doing those evenings, I have to say they were a little bit intimidating because I'm very used to having a set presentation, a PowerPoint, click, 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 going through my script. Night's yeah, over. Yeah. But Thank as, you for coming. But inviting parents to a, a genuine conversation where we're all there as equals, exploring a topic and sharing our knowledge and understanding was, um, was different and it's, it's been fantastic. What would you say if you were talking to somebody from another school who is looking at starting down this kind of journey, what would be the big advice that you'd want to pass on? My big advice for anybody looking to bring positive education to their school would be to give yourself time, and by time I mean years, to establish um, an ethos of well-being in the school. Take the time to do the learning yourself. Go to conferences, come, come to IPA. Spend the time to, to learn as much as you can. Then take that learning to the staff first. I think it's really important to invest in the teachers first. Um, nobody can be in a position to take the science of well-being to students if they don't understand it, in the at least on some level yeah. themselves. They need that exposure. They need that opportunity to reflect on their own well-being. They need time to um, experiment with different practices and be open to the conversation and don't expect that everybody is going to lap it up because they won't and they shouldn't. Um, and, and I think having that spirit of conversation and debate and an acceptance that not everyone will buy in, so to speak, is really important in order for you to, to be able to persevere. Yeah. yeah. And um, if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being for other people, what would it be? Coaching. Tell me more. Having the opportunity and to create space for yourself to carve out a goal, an ambition, a way forward that relies on you and your own resources, and then taking steps to cultivate those resources so that you're able to reach your goal is huge. And coaching has absolutely changed my life and I've seen the impact that it's had on others. I think it's one of the best ways we can support well-being, creating that space to have a private conversation about moving your own life forward. And ultimately, that's what embracing well-being is about. What's your go-to strategy for supporting your own well-being when you feel frustrated or down? Headspace. The app, the mindfulness the app. app. I have, I, it, it is fantastic and I can tell you there have been a, a number of times where I've closed my office door, shut my blinds and turned on the app and just taking that time, again just that time to, to regulate, um, to, to shut out the noise is hugely powerful and um, the second one is gratitude. Gratitude practice has really changed my perspective. Um, we do three good things around our dinner table every night and I see the impact that it's having on my children. I have three young children and um, my youngest is two so, <laughs> so her understanding of, of gratitude is limited but I think that, that 
that ritual that it's now become of us going around the dinner table and talking about the good things. And some days it's hard to come up with the good things, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? Absolutely. But, but making that a priority is just, it's been, again, revolutionary for us. That's gorgeous. Sonia, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been a complete delight. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it, Denise. Thanks to Sonia for sharing her school's journey with us. I know I've been really interested to hear about how they've been using peer coaching to support staff well-being and encouraging staff to have positive coaching conversations with their students. I know lots of teachers will be keen on the idea of protected professional learning time as well as personal well-being time in their weekly schedules. And we might all benefit from crashing the timetable sometimes to spend some time on well-being. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their wellbeing and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.